today. I have my two kids and any others? Oh, Raina's here. All right, Raina. So if you just want to stand, I'm going to say a blessing over you because Gina is going to lead a, an activity for you today or a video, I think, for you during the rest of the service. Uh, Lord, please bless these children. We thank you for the gift that they are uh, to you, most of all, Lord, and to us, uh, this congregation. Uh, Lord, uh, please open their eyes and ears uh, to whatever it is that you would uh, reveal to them today. May they sense your love and presence with them as they learn and grow together. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Laughing at hearing someone crying about it. <laughs> That's how we all feel sometimes, isn't it? Uh, Jerry Lee is going to actually lead us in the scripture readings today. He volunteered for that. So come on up, Jerry Lee. text today is Mark 3, 1 through 6. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he could cure him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, it is lawful to do good and to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or kill. But they were silent. He looked around them with anger. He was grieved with their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately Conspired, conspired with the Herodians against him. How to destroy? Second one is John 2, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at all their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told them they were selling the doves. It takes these out of there. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written. Zeal for your house will continue me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show me for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years and will raise it in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this. They believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. 
But Jesus, on his, this part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew that all the people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jerry Lee. Still got it. That's what I say. Well, I am amazed by God's timing uh, today for this sermon series at the beginning of Lent. Uh, things coming together and Drake's baptism today. Because uh, the last time that this family was here for a baptism was t- when Tegan was baptized. And that was four years ago. On the last Sunday of our in-person worship, March 15th, the last Sunday of our in-person worship before our world changed suddenly, painfully, and dramatically. Immediately, loss was sprung upon us. Loss of normal. Loss of what was most important. Loss of of relationships. And sadly, tragically, for some people, a lot of people, loss of life. They were here in person for worship the last time we gathered together for worship before the COVID pandemic just took over and changed everything. Now it's easy, to, it's easy and intuitive to accept that we've endured such heavy losses. What's a little more sneaky is that each of these losses, each one of them that we can think of, like all of them in life, invokes some sense of grief within us. I don't know if you associate grief with loss, Weber State has a great uh, definition of grief. They define grief as the emotionally painful response to loss. So the more significant the loss, the more intense the grief. And Mayo Clinic simplifies that definition and says, see if you agree with this, that grief is the natural reaction to loss. And it's both universal and personal. So loss that invokes grief is not just death. Sometimes we think of grief when we think of death or something really traumatic like divorce or other dramatic losses that we can think of. Loss that can evoke grief include things like the loss of a dream, loss of physical ability, the loss of normal, the loss of a job, the loss of what was once a close relationship with somebody, which often happened throughout the pandemic. What? You believe that? I can't be friends with you. Loss of well-being. Loss of community. Loss of identity. Loss of opportunity. Loss of belief. So many Christians, especially throughout the pandemic, started to deconstruct their faith. That evokes heavy emotional response. It's a grieving process, just like other losses that we incur in life. Each one of these losses generates a response or sometime a reaction, sometimes a reaction within us, which is what led Elizabeth Kubler-Ross to identify the five stages of grief, which you all could probably rattle off. You know these stages of grief that maybe you identify when someone dies. Keep in mind there is no right order for these stages of grief. There's no linear sort of, okay, now you're in this stage, and now you're in this stage, and there's no expectation of how long you will stay in any stage of grief. Anger, denial depression, bargaining, and acceptance. 
Those are the five stages. And John Mark Comer, I thought was brilliant, he added the sixth stage. There's actually a sixth stage, but this is a teaser. I'm not going to tell you what the sixth stage is until we get to Easter. <laughs> That's otherwise you have to, you see, you have to create the tension and make you want to keep coming back, all right? Now, I've heard a lot about the importance of grieving your losses, especially through the pandemic. I heard so much and read so much, learned so much about grieving your losses. So if I just told you to do that today, friends, why don't you go home and grieve your losses? Simple, right? No, far from it. It's hard to know how to grieve your losses. Where do I start? What's where am I even at right now? What are my losses? We have all sorts of things that we struggle with with that. And so without an example of how to grieve our losses or without naming our losses, without normalizing them and facing them with others in a loving community, it can become easy to get stuck in any of these five stages. So anger or denial or depression especially can become, instead of a response to grief, a posture that we live life with, which makes it very difficult to grow with God or feel close to Jesus or others. And in fact, it isolates us. If we have a posture of anger or a posture of denial where we're denying reality, we become isolated from others. In recovery, we say uh, isolation is the enemy. It brings out the worst in all of us. It's not just true for people in recovery. It's true for everyone. Isolation is the enemy. And if we carry either, any of these as a posture in life, if we stay stuck in these stages of grief, we isolate from others. It's a normal human reaction. It can be very difficult to feel close to anybody, and especially to feel close to Jesus. So each week during Lent, we're going to be talking about uh, each one of these different stages of grief and looking to Jesus as an example of how to face our grief and move through it. In case you're wondering, yes, God grieves. Yes, God grieves. Yes, Jesus grieves. Scripture is full of examples of God grieving. Grief, remember, is an emotionally painful response to loss. So, God grieves when humans... Keep in mind that what God wants most from humans is a loving relationship where we know who we are, we know who God is, and then we say yes to God. And when we confess, we're turning away from our idols and our sin and turning back to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I've, I've had it wrong. So God grieves when we turn away from the relationship that He offers God grieves when people are lost and not knowing God. God is, has a broken heart for the lost and those who don't know who He is. God grieves when people are self-righteous. When people think that they know better than God. God grieves when His people place idols before God. That's one of the biggest ones. Anytime when people are unfaithful in a relationship that God offers, God grieves. And that includes when people are deceived by lies and by the enemy. God grieves that loss. So uh, I'll give you a sort of a metaphor to help explain this, of, of what makes God grieve. I remember when I was on a spiritual retreat called Walk to Emmaus, I had a powerful dream right around the time that I was dating Gina. And uh, you know, in that early days of a relationship, you sort of like, I remember I was terrified the whole weekend. It was a long weekend. Like, is she still going to want to be my girlfriend, when I come back. 
And on the last night of the retreat, I have a dream where I see Gina, and it was like Jesus was with me. And we saw Gina, and it's like she didn't know that we were there, you know. And I saw that in the dream, she had turned back and went back with, like, who was representative of an ex-boyfriend. And I remember, yeah, so it was terrifying. Thanks, Sandy. It was terrifying. Like, what? In, in my heart, I first was just, like, heartbroken, right? And I remember saying out loud in the dream, I'll never forget it, though it was 12 years ago, I said to this person who seemed to be Jesus, how could she turn back to him? She told me how like, he was just wrong for her. How could she do that? How could she turn back? And I was just so confused and perplexed and heartbroken. And then Jesus said to me, that's how I feel when you turn away from me. <laughs> God grieves, friends, when we turn away. God is heartbroken when we say, ah, got better things to do. Don't feel like it today. You know, I know that thing isn't as fulfilling for me as, as, as what Jesus offers, but uh, it's just not as good. God grieves that. That was my experience. It's, it's always stuck with me of how God feels when we turn away. And I, I try to focus that on, on uh, just me and my response to God. So in our scripture text today, we see two examples of Jesus being in, yes, the stages of grief. Jesus is grieving. And John, Jesus is angry that people had turned the temple, which was meant for a place to honor God, uh, into a place for self-gain and idolatry. This was a place where people uh, were supposed to be able to meet and encounter God learn about who God was and what God says uh, about them. And they turned it into a place of consumerism and privilege. Yes, that makes God angry. And in Mark, this text that we read in Mark, Jesus prepared to heal a man with a, a withered hand. Like I can't imagine what that must have been like. On the Sabbath, which you weren't supposed to do anything like that on the Sabbath, and in the synagogue... <laughs> No wonder the, the religious leaders of the time were upset. Let's read what happens. Jesus brought the man in with the withered hand and said, come forward. And then he said to them, to the Pharisees who were looking at him, wondering, are you really going to do this? And Jesus said, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? But they, in their I'm adding this part, in their avoidance, were silent. So Jesus looked at them with anger. Can you imagine Jesus having anger on His face as He looked out at them? And He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And then He said to the man, you can almost imagine it defiantly, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees then went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him on how to destroy Jesus. In both cases, Jesus was grieved. People's self-righteousness, exclusion of people, idolatry. And Jesus' response of anger was just that, friends. It was a response. It was not a posture. Jesus didn't carry this anger and then somehow turn into an angry, bitter, cynical person. It was a response and it pushed him forward to correct what needed to change. In other words, it gave Jesus the courage to act in faithfulness to God. 
And then, if you keep reading in the Gospels, he let it go. He returned to his compassionate, loving self, wanting to offer God's grace to everyone he encountered. Now, the Pharisees were also grieving the loss of what they saw as right. This is what they emphasized the most. What was right before God. And they kept their anger as a posture, didn't they? They let it fester so that they could continue to move forward in killing Jesus. That's what a posture of anger does. It, it festers in our hearts. It leads us to destroy and to divide uh, with other people. And so Jesus is an example for us, and he invites us to grieve our losses with anger, if necessary. As Christians, we're often told that anger is not okay. Don't show that. Just saying, in the upper Midwest, don't show your anger. Don't show it. Definitely don't talk about it. But instead, Jesus gives us an example of how to grieve our losses with anger, if necessary. Feel it. Name it. Don't suppress it. Don't pretend like it's not there. Allow your anger to give you courage and energy to act in faithfulness. To try a new thing. To push out of your comfort zone. To not stay where you're at. To not be stuck in grief. It's easy for us though, friends, because grief is hard and anger is a hard emotion. It's easy to not act and then let it go. It's easier to have more of a posture of anger. And you might say, well, I'm not angry. I don't have any anger. That's not my, that's not my response to grief. Well, resentments. If you have resentments in your heart for someone, that's anger manifested, hidden within your heart. You might say, well, I'm not rageful. I don't ever lose my temper on anybody. But friends, there's a reason they call it passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive is because you're taking that anger and you're deciding to avoid and hide the truth rather than face it and have the hard conversation that might need to be had or say the hard things that need to be said because of your anger. And instead, we internalize it. We go numb to our emotions. We block out the good as well as the bad. And sometimes, in the more extreme examples, we take on unhealthy self-medication. This, hanging on to this posture of anger, I really like this way of describing it. If we're bitter or resentful or cynical towards other people, this is as if uh, I had a cup of poison and I'm bitter at Dean. Dean, you know that I'm not bitter at you at all. I'm, <laughs> I'm bitter at Dean and I've got this cup of poison, which is my resentments and my anger because Dean has caused some change that's causing me to grieve. And I'm drinking that poison. Like, I'm going to really get Dean here. <laughs> well, Dean is just fine. I'm the one drinking the poison. I'm the one hurting myself. I'm the one staying stuck in grief rather than maybe talking to Dean and saying, Dean, you know, I know that you acted according to your values, but I need you to know that that hurt. That really was a hard change for me. You see the difference? I don't want to drink that poison. And I know that you don't want to drink it either. But that's what happens when we keep anger 
as a posture. No, anger is not something to be avoided or to, to pretend we don't ever have. Anger is a gift from God. It's a gift from God when we allow it to help us move through our grief, to give us energy to continue to face and accept our losses. And if we do that, grief can transform losses into healing, into strength, into hope, into experience to share with others. We're meant to feel our anger and then to let it go. As we read in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, be angry. So he says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And, meaning don't just keep carrying it as a posture. And do not make room for the devil. Wow, isn't that something? Not only is it poison, but if we hold that anger, we're actually giving the devil, not Jesus, room to operate within our heart. Anger is a gift if we feel it, and if necessary, then act if necessary, and then let it go. Unresolved or unprocessed or denied grief can then erode closeness and intimacy that we experience in relationships. And this is what life is all about. Relationships with one another, with other people, and our relationship with God. Unresolved or unprocessed grief can significantly diminish our quality of life. The go-to book in uh, trauma research and, and trauma education right now is uh, it's the gold standard in this area, in this field, is called The Body Keeps Score. So you think about it, you're drinking that cup of bitterness and resentment and anger, and it manifests in your body. It does, and it affects the quality of your life. And unresolved, unprocessed grief can give life to unhealthy coping mechanisms, idols. Anger as a posture turned inward can lead to all kinds of things like depression, bitterness, or even self-hatred. So friends, during Lent, God invites us to reorient our hearts, our lives, our minds, our desires towards Jesus. That's what Lent is all about, is this time of saying, you know, that's why we give stuff up for Lent. We say, this thing has taken on too big of a space in my life. I'm going to set that aside so I can be more committed to Jesus. And that's a hard thing to do, to actually open our hearts more to Jesus. I mean, maybe you're not facing any losses right now. Maybe as I'm talking, you can't think of anything. And that's, you know, praise God for that. But I bet you know someone who is. Growth in faith requires loss. Did you know that? That any time that we're going to grow in faith, it actually requires that we leave something behind so that we can step into the new Growth in faith requires loss. So we actually volunteer to experience grief as we lose the old parts of ourself, either as individuals or as a church. We lose things that are important about ourselves so that we can embrace the new self that Jesus is making us into. That is inevitable. Grief, remember, is a natural response to loss. So if we're going to step into what's new, we have to accept that there's loss involved. Todd Bolsinger, who is an author and was a pastor for 30 years and is now a seminary professor, uh, says that people don't actually resist change. They resist loss. 
So maybe that's the main reason that it's hard to get people to want to be in small groups and in discipleship groups is that there's some sort of protective mechanism that's keeping us from experiencing loss. We call that resistance, inner resistance. So we need a way to move forward in our grief or to be able to move forward when we face grief if we encounter loss as we grow in our faith, especially during Lent. We need to name it to get some traction, to get it out in front of us. We have to do that. We have to take that energy and act. So, here are some steps. And this is what I want to spend the rest of our time doing today. If you have a piece of paper with you, you could write it down. Um, I was going to give some little booklets out, but I wasn't sure that people would even want to do this, to be honest with you. (laughs) So, today, just think about these things. Uh, And I I would encourage you maybe even to go home and and write down whatever it is that you can remember. First of all, unmask your losses by naming what you're powerless over. So most of us don't walk around thinking about our losses, do we? We don't think about uh, all of it. We're just trying to get by. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to grind through another day and another day. We're not thinking about our losses. We have to unmask them. We have to unearth them. So, name the things that you're powerless over. In other words, what feels hard in your life right now? What feels super hard? Just every day or every week, it just keeps coming back to this. What invokes anger within you? Sometimes we grieve when we see that a political party is bringing the country in another direction. Or when the church is moving away from what we thought was most important. It doesn't always have to be something personal, even though those things are personal. What invokes anger within you, especially as a posture? Then I like what John Eldritch, another author and pastor, what he suggests. He says, look back at what these last few years have been like for you. First of all, say, uh, what has it been like for you? What are those losses, the fears, the sources of your anger and frustration? Imagine that a trusted friend or a pastor or a counselor has asked you these things. What's been hard? What made you mad? What do you wish never happened? Pandemic is a pretty easy one, right? Could be a death. Could be a big fight in a relationship that then affected the closeness of that relationship, the vulnerability between you. Put it all out there. John says, John Eldritch, not the John. Put it all out there. Honor it. Name it. And grieve it. Second, pay attention to the current moment. Name what this current moment feels like. This is John Eldritch saying this. 
What is this current moment demanding of you? It might be a season of loss or a whole year full of loss. How is it impacting your soul? Stay current with the cost of living in an hour like this. Care for your soul by putting words to what it's like. Don't just pretend like everything's fine. This is how we move forward in our grief. And I'll touch on some of these every week because they're common for any of the stages. Although acceptance is where we're hoping to land. And we might come back to anger. We might come back to denial. We might come back to depression and sadness. But we're hoping that every time we do, we can shorten the amount of time we keep that posture and that we can lengthen the time that we stay in a posture of acceptance, which that is what the life of faith with Jesus is all about. That we could accept what the world offers knowing that there's more to this life and that Jesus is the source of life in its fullness. So, another thing that we can do, practical things here as we close, uh, we can turn to uh, God in prayer. Specifically, prayers of lament. That's what the Psalms are full of. 75 of the 150 uh, Psalms are laments. Why are you doing this, God? Why have you allowed this to happen? If you look to just the laments, you'll see a lot of anger. A lot of times, anger towards God. And laments are a way of letting that out. God can handle it. God can take it. God can take that poison. In fact, Jesus says the night before He was killed, Lord, if, if You can spare me this cup of wrath, please take it from me, but Your will be done. Jesus is drinking that cup of poison and bitterness that we try to drink ourselves. We can't handle that. It will destroy you. We can give that to God through lament, through prayer, through forgiveness. Through telling somebody, i got to let you know, I don't feel good about what happened between us. That's hard. But take that anger and let it generate courage in you to move forward, to move through your grief. Don't stay in it. Talking about it might be the first step. Because oftentimes we don't know what's, what's appropriate, but we can talk about it with somebody, anybody. That's honestly the main reason that I became a pastor. The main reason is to talk with people about this kind of stuff. And it happens probably 1% of my time <laughs> in nine years. So maybe the next 10 years will be different. <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe there's something I'm doing wrong. I can accept that if that's the case. But I think it's mostly because this is really hard, isn't it? But friends, hear this news today. That grief is a natural response to loss. But God wants us to experience healing and hope and transformation in spite of that loss. To become new people. To become changed, resurrected with a new living hope that we can offer to others. That's what our faith in Christ is all about. Amen. I'd like us to take just a few moments of silence and